Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Great. So we're going to get started. Um, If you're just logging in right now, you can go uh, introduce yourself in the chat with your name, where you're located, and number of years that you've been in private practice. And for those that have just logged on, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 20 years in private practice, 23 years as a PT. I feel like the the youngin in the group here based on the experience that we have in the chat. Mary and uh, Alicia, if you want to introduce yourselves as well, that'd be awesome. I'm Mary DeLong. I'm in Houston, Texas, and we're getting ready to have some heck of a weather here. So if I disappear, I will come back. We have a backup generator. Uh, And I've been a PT for 53 years. And I'm Alicia Mahoney. I live um, in Pennsylvania. I'm in Philadelphia. And I've been working for BCMS. I'm not a clinician. I've been working for BCMS for almost 10 years. And my fun fact is that Mary's my mom, if you don't already know that. (laughs) Love it. So, yeah, we're going to be going through the 2024 Medicare cuts, the final ruling, and also be talking about strategies, um, how to survive another cut. You know, as we're forecasting forward, looking at another 3% reduction there, and Mary's going to give you the exact details and numbers here in a second, what that looks like and how we can plan and strategize beginning right now. Um, this is the fourth year in a row that we've had cuts, and this is certainly beginning to take a toll on us as private practice owners. And if you've missed the introduction, um, Mary DeLong, the president and CEO of BCMS, um, Alicia is uh, Mary's daughter. They work together. They And just um, a personal introduction, they've both been here uh, to our clinic in Harrisburg, have helped us put a compliance plan together. Little known fact that we have shared before is uh, we went through a Medicare audit and we actually received money back from Medicare, which is a pretty rare occurrence. But that never would have happened if it weren't for the week, the work that we did with uh, BCMS and Mary and Alicia. So thank you both for doing this. My pleasure. So how to get the most out of our time here together today? Obviously, you blocked off your time. Grab something to write with if you haven't. Uh, done so already, something to write with and something to write on. Um, Yeah, you're highly engaged already. And then, yeah, we'll be walking you through. I'll be sharing some documents um, and some other goodies here if you stay on here to the end. So you're in the right place if you're a private practice owner and you're frustrated with declining reimbursements. This is affecting us all. Uh, You're already struggling with slim profit margins. I know I'm getting a lot of direct message um, that... uh, DMs recently or text, uh, you know, we're at 3% margin for 2023. What does this mean for me in 2024? And how am I going to mitigate this and survive? So if you're struggling with slim profit margins, rising costs, staffing challenges, and you're concerned about the upcoming cuts will affect your practice, we're going to be walking through this. You want to educate yourself about what exactly is in the 2024 uh, physician fee schedule, final ruling, and you want to learn what you can do to mitigate the financial risk and increase profitability in spite of another year of payment cuts. So our promise to you is that at the end of our time here together, we promise that you walk away with a clear summary of what's changed in the physician fee schedule for next year. And you'll learn three proven strategies that practice owners just like you are using 
to increase the profitability in spite of declining reimbursements. And in the end, what that will create for you is more financial security, a more financially stable practice, time freedom, and peace of mind. The other thing that we're going to be doing is sharing a tool with you. So in the past, we've shared um, this in a month-to-month basis. This is called our, our profit planning template. This is the same template that I'm using in my practice that all of our seven clinical directors are using to forecast forward for 2024. This will be an annual um, an annual plan. So even if you have the, the document from before, we'll be walking you through the changes. And this is uh, something new that you can use to plan ahead for 2024, how the cuts are going to affect you, and then um, how you can implement strategies that are unique to your practice. So about BCMS, I haven't said this already, uh, Mary and I and Alicia and I met, uh, I think back in 2014, 2015, in Florida at uh, an association event, Rose and Shingle Creek, if I remember correctly. And um, But BCMS, is, and Mary was introduced as the queen of compliance. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure there's a better intro um, because it, within our industry, within private practice PT, she is the person that everybody looks to for compliance, leadership, and guidance. So um, yeah, BCMS is her company. It's a national organization dedicated to providing compliance consultations, solutions, and services to private practice outpatient therapists. In the end, what does this mean? This helps us stay legal and compliant and where we're not leaving money on the table. And I shared the example with you um, already. So at this time, Mary's going to take over and walk us through what's exactly in the 2024 physician fee schedule final rule. Okay, let's proceed. There are wins and there are losses. And I was telling Chad when we were doing our kind of review uh, earlier this week, I said, you know, for the first time, I feel like there's more wins than losses. And um, that's good news now, but we still are losing money. But I think the thing to look at is, Yes, the conversion factor, and we'll talk about this in a moment, uh, is a loss. That's that's what's causing um, this continual deep dive down without um, increased revenue. But we have some things that are happening with CPT codes. We've got some new codes on care uh, caregiver training and education. We have some misvalued codes that we have some some very optimistic um uh, opportunities here. I will talk about that. Um, the supervision of PT assistance and OT assistance is a toss. Um, we still have um, AV supervision available through 2024, but we did not get what we were hoping for, and that was full general supervision. So that was kind of toss up. And then with telehealth, services, they did go ahead and say we can continue. Uh, We are, first of all, recognized as telehealth providers now, and um, we have that um, AV supervision available for us uh, through uh, the term of telehealth. Okay, let's let's talk about the conversion factor, and I'm just going to give a quick overview. And I do want to state in the beginning, this is a overview. This is a gigantic, you know, 27 
hundred page document. Uh, we did a a lot of this in August, and we went through a lot more detail. Uh, and if you need that information, we can certainly get that to you. But this is really what's what is the core of what we're dealing with right now. And uh, I thought we'd focus on that. There's a few things that um, we are not covering. Um, people have asked, well, I haven't heard you say anything about lymphedema and the and the uh, compression garment change. Well, that is because that's not part of the Medicare physician fee schedule for under fee schedules under Part B. So it's under home health pr prospective payment. It does apply to us, but it's not part of this. So if you need information, if you do lymphedema uh, and compression garments, contact us. We'll get that information to you. Uh, another thing I'm not covering that is in the fee schedule is laser. And I'll just say quickly about that. There's a new laser code, 97037. It does not apply to us because it is for, <clears throat> excuse me, it's under the uh, APC system. And that is really hospital-based um, emergency rooms, uh, those types of things. It doesn't apply to us. but uh, if you are using laser and you choose to use 97037, it is a non-covered service. So I just want to reiterate that. And the other thing we will not be covering because of the extensiveness and because it's not an area that we focus on is MIPS. So now back to the conversion factor. Oh, go back. There we go. Okay, so the conversion factor uh, is uh, <clears throat> one of the main elements that determines uh, how we're going to be paid. And it is the dollar value that is multiplied times your relative value unit. So each CPT code has relative values. And then there's a multiple. In addition to that, we have a geographic adjustment. Some of you may not be aware of that. But depending upon where you reside or your practice is in your state, there is a value attached to that. Typically, those in urban areas um, are paid better and those in rural areas are paid less. Um, but that is something that does impact it. And you need to consider that when you're looking at what the fees are. As you know, the APTA does have a uh, fee schedule available to those of you who are members. If not, you can go to your Medicare uh, Max and they will have fee schedules and you can just type in the codes and you can see what it is and they do adjust it for uh, the gypsy. So what's changed? Uh, well, we have a decrease. So from 23, when we were paid 33.89, we are now going to be paid, or the conversion factor is $32.75. So this is a decrease of 3.34%. Now, bear in mind, we had significant reductions proposed in 23. They were offset uh, by a number of things. And then at the very end, by a congressional uh uh, funding of 2.5%. So that reduced um, the hit, so to speak. We are hoping for uh, congressional funding again. That usually happens at the last minute. It usually messes up everything in January because they hold everything saying, wait a minute, we have a few more changes. 
Um, and but we're thinking it might not be as much as last year, possibly a a, a one point two five percent. Mary, just to clarify, so we have a three three four that's guaranteed that's going through, and then we might get a one point two five percent supplement. So in the end, we're looking at roughly a two point oh nine hit. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. And again, you know, that's per CPT code. So that's not across the board. So depending upon how you use CPT codes, their relative value unit, uh, that all plays into uh, the picture. So I talked about misvalued codes. This is a win, 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 exclamation point, hallelujah. We have been fighting multiple payment, multiple, I'll get you, procedure payment reduction uh, since its inception. Um, we, I understand, you understand that, you know, obviously they don't want us double dipping, but what we have said for years is that just because the patient's having multiple uh, interventions doesn't mean we're, we, they're just in there. It's not like surgery and you walk in and they're on the table and you maybe cut a different part. This is, we move the patient to the gym, we move them all around, we do different kinds of things. So they are looking, they being, uh, CMS has has requested that the AMA's RUC committee uh, look at 19 CPT codes specific to us. I really don't know if they're looking at any other codes, but I know these are the ones specific to us um, that they would be looking at to see if indeed they should be exempt from multiple uh, procedure payment reduction. And just a, a point on the impact if you are the average provider delivering 3.7 um, bill units per visit, the typical impact of MPPR would be between 6 and 7% reduction of payment. So that's significant. So you can put that back on the table with, we're hoping uh, when the RUC uh, makes their determination. But we think we have a pretty good argument at, at, for a CMS to have said, you need to revisit this. Okay? Yeah, Mary, just for application, I, I know we talked about this, uh, you, you and I did, uh-huh. right? But um, so if, if I'm billing 97140 times two today, I get a reduction of between six and 7%. What this is doing is taking that away potentially and saying, now I realize the full value of each code when I build 97140 times two. That's right. So maybe just a tiny bit on MPPR, how it works. On MPPR, you, the first code, highest highest uh, relative value is going to be paid at 100%. All subsequent codes after that have a reduction of the practice value. That's part of the RVUs. So it's not the whole code, but the practice value, which is where we get most of our money, um, gets reduced 50%. So if that 50% is put back in there, if a code has, if it's worth uh, $30, then you're going to get all $30. And that's significant. Got it. Thank you. Um, Candace, I see your comments in the chat. If you can reach out to Alicia directly. You can work with them to um, get something out to everybody. It, I I saw here that you wrote that you're on the American uh, Occupational Therapy Association RUC committee. Mm-hmm. That 
Wonderful. That is great. If you can reach out to Alicia, that would be helpful. Thank you. We love those connections. She's a client also. Yeah, I know. Thank you. So supervision of PTAs and OTAs. Um, so we again, as I had said, um, we, this was not quite what we had hoped for. Um, we were hoping that we would see general supervision just as uh, rehab agencies have of the PTAs and the PT uh, OTAs. But CMS is sitting on this right now. They're still wanting to analyze whether there has been any compromise to quality of care, patient safety, those types of things. I don't know how many years they need to look at that, but they nevertheless um, did say that in light of the fact that they did not approve general supervision, they are continuing with the uh, audiovisual supervision uh, through 2024. So that is a kind of win. Uh, it's not the win we'd hope for, but it still will make life easier to have the PTAs a bit, a bit uh permitted to um, be off-site or on-site without a, a supervising PT as long as there's AV uh, communication available. Okay. Telehealth services and supervision. Uh, this is another win. So we have in the past not been listed as um, practitioners who were approved to provide telehealth until um, the uh, public health emergency. And they have continued to um, address that through 23. So they gave us the ability to, to stay uh, or to have the right to provide telehealth services without in, an in-person visit. So right now, what they have said is Guess what, PTs, OTs, speech and language pathologists, you are now on the list of uh, providers uh, who have the right to provide telehealth. So that is a win. Um, and then the supervision under telehealth services does still have to be via audiovisual means. And we would anticipate that uh, changing if and when CMS changes the overall supervision for therapists in private practice. The caregiver training and education codes. Uh, this is a win because this is something that, like all of you know, we have been providing these services, maybe not in this detail, but probably, you know, with every patient following up how they're doing. Um, working with family members when they, you know, don't know how to handle the situation. This particular code is a code that is others can use besides therapists, but as it relates to us, um, we'll just go through the codes that 97550 and 97550 and 551, well, actually all of them, uh, or have the same content. So you're teaching strategies and techniques to really uh, enhance the patient's functional performance uh, in the home or in the community. So ADLs, IADLs, IADLs 
um, and our, our, obviously our, our speech interventions. The major difference, and we need to focus on this, is this is without the patient present. It does have to be face-to-face, and it does, the first code, the 550, has to be for the initial 30 minutes. Um, the reason we stress without the patient present is because once the patient is engaged, then we divert to billing our intervention, our CPT codes. So if we were teaching um, some type of exercise and the patient was there, that would be 97110. Or if we were doing, you know, teaching some type of, of uh, let's say wheelchair transfer or gate or something like that. We would use the applicable CPT codes for that. Uh, unlike that, with the patient not present, we're going to use these caregiver training codes. The 97551 is each additional 15 minutes. And again, it's the same content uh, for the education. 97552 is in a group setting. So you may have multiple caregivers. It could be a family member. It could be someone who is uh, hired to assist, uh, volunteers, whatever. But so you're going to have more than one uh, caregiver uh, in this situation, and it is not a timed code. So it's very important to know that. The other thing about this code is that there has to be consent to treatment uh, or consent to the education um, by the patient or their representative. And um, the frequency or the volume that this code is utilized is really going to depend upon the patient's um, condition. Uh, you may go in today under a plan of care and a particular diagnosis and teach the caregiver X, Y, and Z. But maybe the patient has progressed or regressed, or maybe there's an additional diagnosis that is going to make you go in and really have to uh, modify the training and education. Then it would be appropriate to, again, build these codes as needed. So there is no flat limit but it is going to be based on, you'd have to prove that there was a change that necessitated this. So documentation, again, is key on this. Mary, quick question. Um, by the way, just some housekeeping here. Lots of questions coming in the chat. Uh -huh. Questions over into the Q&A for everybody that's watching right now. That will help us when we have the Q&A time here um, in a little bit. The, the, this question is simple. Um, does this slide the caregiver training and education codes, does this apply to PT, OT, and speech? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Absolutely, because we're getting, if you see the uh, the types of things we're doing in, in the home, so ADLs and IADLs, typically OT and PT, and then when we get into swallowing, feeding problems, those types of things are going to be more of your uh, speech and language pathology interventions. So for all the questions that are coming in the chat now about telehealth or education codes, if you can put those over in the Q&A, um, th that'll help us out just to get your questions answered. It'll be easier to put them all over there and answer right. them. 
Thank you. Um, quick, uh, just a quick um, hit on uh, the KX modifier. Uh, and let me reiterate, I'm getting more and more calls because pe patients are calling Medicare. Medicare is saying there is no cap. So you can they can treat you forever. Well, there is no cap, but there still is a threshold. The threshold is meant to be a wake-up call. Hey, is, does your documentation support medical necessity? This is the level. I mean, you should be looking at that forever. But and every time you treat a patient, whether things are medically necessary, but you want to make sure that uh, you kind of do a wake up, smell the coffee kind of thing uh, when you get close to that 2330. As you know, we still have the 2330 split by PT and OT, and the 2330 is uh, applicable to OT alone. So $100 increase. The targeted medical review, again, uh, this is $3,000. Uh, you have to affix the KX modifier to both of these to make certain you don't have uh, a denial. Um, the the um, targeted medical review threshold is not an automatic audit, okay, like we had when we had the RAC. It is it's a trigger. They will look at it. They're going to look at your billing behavior. So they are looking for aberrant, abnormal billing. And if they see that our coding, if they see that, then that certainly could precipitate an audit, but it's not automatic. And I encourage you, remember, we've got a lot of patients now that are using the uh, skilled maintenance, and you're going to go well over 3000 for that. You continue to use the KX modifier and a touch on skill maintenance that has to be under a separate plan of care for skill maintenance. It's not a recover, it's not a rehabilitation plan of care. Uh, when I say rehabilitation, I'm talking about restorative. Um, and I think there might have been uh, another go back, Chad, for one second. Um I think that's probably it. I know that we're just seeing a lot of issues with the patients stating that you have to keep treating me and they just have to understand we have to prove medical necessity. Okay. Provider enrollment. The only thing I want to say about this and I want to reiterate it is that if you have any practice location changes, they stress in the in this new in the final rules that you must notify them within 30 days. More and more people are being deactivated because they have not let Medicare know they've added a site, deleted a site, um, or moved a site. So you want to be careful. We do have a um, timeline template that you could uh, contact Alicia for, and it's all the types of changes on an enrollment application that have timeframes and we'll be glad to send that to y'all. Okay. And this information, we have to say it, you know, it's, it's current as of the 27th. That's when we pulled it together. And I am not an attorney. We are not um, providing legal advice, just what information we have uh, gleaned through the reading of the rules. Great. So Alicia, 
And uh, thank you, Mary. Alicia posted her email. Um, There's actually two. Which one do you prefer, Alicia? I see the. uh, They come to the same place, Chad. They come to the same place. So either I just am trying to wean out my Nevins because my last name is Mahoney. So that's it. (laughs) All good. (laughs) There you go. Um, Yeah. So we'll go with the what's on your screen, Mahoney A at bcmscomp.com. If you have any questions for Mary and Alicia that are individual, specific to your practice, you want to reach out to them. Also, are you interested in a free compliance program overview with BCMS? The one thing, the reason that we did it, uh, again, Mary and Alicia came here, they went through, uh, they did an audit for us in in a way that I, I'm, I'm a physical therapist, I didn't know how to do an audit, right? And, uh, you know, in the end, they helped us with our redundant coding, our aberrant uh, billing. I can never say that word properly. And in the end, when we did have a Medicare audit, we ended up getting a little bit of money back, which is very, very rare. But that never would have happened if it weren't for Mary and Alicia. So um, take the number down. Uh, Alicia's information as well. Reach out to them. Um, They're absolutely amazing. And really the, the go-to compliance company in our industry right now. Thank you, Chad. Thank um, you. No, thank you. Um, th- this is amazing. So we appreciate the update. There is a poll coming up on your screen. If you're interested in that free compliance program overview with BCMS, just click yes. And uh, th- they'll be in touch with you to, to get that scheduled for you and, and go over that in your practice. All right. So. We talked a lot about the problem um, and, you know, what do we do with this information? And this is um, exactly, you know, what the, I'm dealing with as a practice owner every day. I'm, I'm on with practice owners and how are we going to mitigate this? What are we going to do moving forward? So if we look at the, you know, the headlines that are in the market today, you can see some of there on the left. Um, it, it decreased reimbursement, right? It, it, there was some good news here, but <laughs> <laughs> not related to in, uh, increasing reimbursements. And we'll take a look at exactly what that means for us. Increased employment expenses and other costs. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, and I know we have some people that have been in practice for two, three, four decades. How many of you have seen um, a, an employee request a raise within the last 12 months? Just write yes in the chat. Please. Okay. So we're all, all over. I, I think I've seen more in the last 12 to 18 months than I've seen in my other 19 years of private practice combined. It, it is, it, we're all facing this, right? There's, there was inflation, all the other problems that are happening, but we have in, increased employment expenses and other costs, the shrinking profits of, and a re, very real issue for us. Uh, PTs leaving the private practice. We just had this happen to us where we had a, a regrettable departure. Somebody went to another setting, uh, one of our clinicians, and they're leaving for higher pay in other settings. And in the end, we're getting paid less for doing what seems to be a, you know more work. So not good. And if we look at, um, so I went back to the conversion factor. You can go to cms.gov, uh, pull this for yourself. Mary and I have talked about this um, in the past on multiple locations, but I, I literally just graphed out every year since 1994. Um, by the way, in 2024, we will be less. The conversion factor will be lower than what it was in 1994. And it gets really bad if we just look at it since 2008. So is this 
staying the same, increasing, or going down? I would say it's pretty clear this is decreasing, right, for us. So the conversion factor is going down. Again, it's less than what it was 30 years ago. And does anybody know the inflation adjustment that we have? So the value of the dollar in today, 2023, is worth less than half of what it was in 1994. However, there's no inflation adjustment for the conversion factor. So while inflation is going up and our costs are going up, our reimbursements are gradually declining. That's creating a lot of pressure for you and I as private practice owners, really putting us in a bind. Here's some of the those numbers on inflation. Again, the 30-year trend is that um, costs have more than doubled. Um, with, with it, I, they've gone up by, um, or the value of the dollar is 48% today of what it was uh, back in 1994. Um, so prices have increased by 74% since 2000. You know, are you paying more or less for your space? You're paying more today than you were two, three, four decades ago. Are employees' salaries going up and benefits going up? Are or are they staying the same? They're going up and it's going up dramatically. The cost of equipment going up dramatically. I know for us, um, we opened a clinic uh, two years ago in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, yes, the Hershey's Chocolate, that town. And that the cost of our build out was $40,000 for 2,000 square feet. A year later, the same, same building, same construction company, cost of the build out was over $120,000. It had more than tripled within one year. So, and that was for us to add another 2,000 square feet there. And there wasn't anything crazy going on with plumbing. So costs are definitely going up. That creates a pretty big problem for us where we have this tremendous upward pressure on cost at the same time, downward pressure on our revenue. So in the end, what are we left with? Oh, it's not populating. There it is. Um, earning less revenue from each patient who's coming through the door, overall increase in expenses, um, understaffed, right? Tough to hire and retain. I know we're talked with many owners who are forced back into, you know, treating. We just met somebody down in Austin um, and went from zero treatment hours this week to he was going to go up to 60 because of losing staff, uh, underutilized space, very big problem. And in the end, we're left with razor thin margins. And what we're hearing from owners uh, you can read this on the screen, but you know we're we're working hard. We want to make sure we don't shrink margins to a point where we put the practice at risk. I've had some personal people reach out, you know, owners, and we're at three percent. You know, we're looking at another three percent cut. Basically, on, that I'm forecasting no margin in next year, and that's you know you, you can't survive. You can't keep your doors open uh, with no no margin. Another one here, ethical. we're in an ethical dilemma. We see a higher volume. We can do that, but we don't want to compromise our quality of care. Pretty common. And how do we compete with hospital systems? Also a, a very big problem for us. So um, we put together a, a plan. I ran this by um, Eric Williams, who for years, uh, I believe nine years, was the CEO at Dreyer. Um, he said that we are spot on with how we're looking at tackling this problem. Um, I can share it with you right now, but just about how we're personally looking at mitigating um, the cost. Is this Would this be of interest to you, how we're problem solving, looking at increasing profits in spite of the Medicare cuts? And just as an aside, we're about 65% federal payers. So we're really hot. I mean, this is crushing us right now. But um, if you're interested, just put yes to profits in the in the webinar chat. 
What's up, Lane? All caps. Okay, got it. All right. So the, if you don't take anything else away in terms of what I've shared, I know you took really good notes with the physician fee schedule changes from Mary um, and Alicia and what they shared. The, this is the conceptually, this is the strategy that you want to understand. So in the beginning, right, we we have what your practice is at today. We know now based on, I believe it was WebPT put out um, a, a survey and data from Bob Kowalik as well, um, a, a good friend that helps private practice owners that incidentally, Mary and Alicia introduced us two years ago. Um, you know, they both, both of those report that those data sets say that the industry average for private practice PT or margin is under 10%. That is a problem. Greg Crabtree is a CPA who wrote a book called Simple Numbers, Big Profits. And he said, anytime we're in a service-based business and we go under that 10%, that 10% is the new break even, and that we're in jeopardy. We're on thin ice of closing our doors. And oddly, most of the industry right now is at that or below. Um, so this all starts with looking at where you're at today. So we do that with a profit leak audit. I don't have time on this call to go through exactly what that entails, but it really goes into looking at your revenue. Like what actually happened? What am I actually receiving? Um, we have our, our directors do this, our therapists do this. We have a bar that um, we're, we're generating so much revenue per week per clinician. Our bar is $4,300 per clinician per week. And anytime we're below that bar, we're losing money. Anytime we're above it, we're able to keep our doors open. So it all starts with a profit leak audit. And our therapists are devastated that they'll do an eval or um, I know the one, uh, we'll say in, insurance company A, Medicare Advantage plan, an uh, a visit, a four unit visit reimbursed at $38.40. And they were devastated that that was the actual revenue realized from what we were providing there. So that starts with a profit leak audit, identify the problems, areas where we can get above the bar. The next thing that needs to happen is the profit planner. I'll be sharing a template with you here at the end where you can do this and forecast forward for 2024 and not only look at how the cuts are going to affect you and the effect that they're going to have on your practice, but you can forecast forward. Why is that important? Because when we use the profit leak audit to look into the past and then the profit planner to look into the future, now we can start getting into polling strategies, which are the four profit levers. We have four big buckets here. Number one is maximizing utilization of space and personnel. Number two is increasing lifetime patient value. Number three is improving payer mix. And number four is strategic coding. We're going to be talking about this in a second. Then what happens is every practice on here is unique. I know many of us have integrated practices. You pull a lever and you want to see how that has changed your practice, right? Because you can't pull all four that compromise 12 different strategies at once. You can only pull, really focus on one or two at a time. So profit lever number one, market for profits. You have to do this. So number uh, most common leak that we see in any practice that we're looking at is underutilized space, underutilized schedules. We just opened a de novo um, this year in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's Amish country. So we opened up there, we have 3,000 square feet, and we have two clinicians there. Now that space, when those clinicians are full, this is a typical 40-hour-a-week clinic. Um, they, we should have six full-time clinicians seeing 300-plus visits a week, right? So that is, to us right now, that is underutilized space. 
underutilized space is a profit leak in that we're paying for space that we're not fully realizing income from. And in that case, we're about 33% utilized. So we're paying for 2,000 square feet extra a month. Having said that, th this is a brand new clinic. We've talked with too many owners that have you know, a 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 square foot clinic, and they're only seeing you know, a handful of visits a week in that space. So this is one profit leak audit. The game is to fill that space as quickly as possible. And I know what you're saying. We'll talk about it here in a second. You know, I can't do that because I can't hire fast enough. The second thing that we see is underutilized schedules. Um, now more than ever before, you know, it was easier 10, 15, 20 years ago. We could get away with um, some cancellations and some gaps in the schedule. We just can't do that anymore. So every therapist that we're paying for, you know, total compensation is 80 to 90. Some of us are paying $100,000 or more a year in total compensation to our clinicians. We have to fully utilize their schedules. When we're not, it becomes a liability to our practice and ultimately the viability of our practices. Uh, you know, there, there, so there's a big point here, which is um, costs do not scale. And it, I've there's some controversy on a national level um, that I've been involved with, but uh, we, we've had practices that perceive that if they're at a 10% margin now, that just simply adding more personnel. So let's go back to our example, 3,000 square feet, and we have two full-time clinicians there for our Lancaster office, right? We know that the game, that it makes mathematical sense to add four more clinicians and fill their schedule. What some owners will believe is that our cost will scale. So right now, if we're, let's say we had a 3% profit margin, I'm not even sure we're breaking even, we're right around the break-even point. But let's say we were at that break-even point. They perceive that, well, I don't want to hire. I don't want to bring on that additional expense because we're going to stay at 0% profitability. That's not true. And here's how you can disprove that idea fairly quickly. So we are now in November, right? If I would go back to October last month, right? And we would add four additional clinicians, 200 visits a week, right? Our, very obvious, our revenue would go up, right? How much more would we be paying for the space? The answer is zero. How much more would we be paying for a receptionist? How much more would we be paying for a lot of our costs? Well, they're fixed cost, so they don't vary that much. And what we want to do is increase the revenue relative to the, relative to the expense. So it's kind of a false misnomer within private practice that I hear often, which is like, wherever we're at today, 12% margin, it automatically fixates. And when we're even busier, it's still going to be 12%. That's not how it works. So just a quick one for most of us, if we just simply focus on marketing for profit, filling up our space, filling up our schedules, we're going to be in a better position. Second profit lever is this. We can improve our payer mix, right? And for this, and this is not new information. Um, it's not a new strategy. It's been in the marketplace forever. But I've never heard so many owners talking about how to do this than right now. So you should have a really good idea. Most of us for years, because we're volume oriented, we've talked about visits per week per clinician or dollars per visit. There's an easier way to look at it. And again, this is just from experience but you should have a bar. 
what's your average reimbursement per hour that you need to realize per clinician? So for us, I know that number off the top of my head is $107.50. Anytime we're below that, we're compromising our business plan and our viability pretty good. Um, so, and that is way different than what the bar was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Three different options of what you can do there. One, you can drop your lowest payer. Two, you can renegotiate contracts. Three, you can attract more of your highest payers. A lot of people don't believe that they can attract more of their highest payers. Here's a simple way you could do it. You could go through your patient list um, and see, you know, if I asked you right now who your highest payer is, you would likely know who that is. You know, for me, it's Highmark Blue Shield. So, you know, a good piece of information for me to know would be within our central Pennsylvania area here, who are the top 10 largest employers that are offering Highmark to their to their employees, right? I shouldn't know that. And I should have be building relationships with those employers so that we're attracting, right? And I can participate in their health fairs if they're throwing that for their employees, lunch and learns, any other thing that I can be doing to add value to that employer so that we're attracting more of their employees. How can you find that out? Hop into your EMR and you can find out typically, you know, the insurance company and you, you've you already have recorded the employer as well. And you can just simply ask for an introduction. So that's one simple way of how you can attract more higher payers. Third thing you can do is increase lifetime patient value. So uh, I, I remember uh, when I first came into PT uh, a couple of years ago, there, I remember hear, hearing somebody say this. I, I, I get people better in three visits or two visits, whatever the number was. And if I did my job well, I'll never have to see them again. That is horrible, right? So the, uh, most of our business right now is past patients being reactivated, right? Like that, it, it's a it's a huge uh, under evaluation of our skill set. That if we're just going to see somebody, you know, have a, the magic touch, um, fix their back in two or three visits, which all we really have done is reduce their pain and inflammation, and then just say, okay, now you're done. I hope you never have to see me again. That's silly. Nobody does that in the real world. Um, that's that's not a good business model for us to be talking about. And I think that's pretty much weaned away from our entire industry. So if we are talking about increasing lifetime patient value, what can we be doing um, ethically to provide our services more? Well, one, we can increase word of mouth referrals. There's a very specific three-step process that we use to increase word of mouth referrals. Um, the second thing that we do is uh, decrease drop-offs and have better patient retention, right? If you have more patients who are starting their plan of care, achieving their goals and graduating from your services, what that does over time is now you have a, a, a large and growing patient list where you're going to be getting more reactivations and more word of mouth referrals from them versus a practice who has tremendous drop-off. Um, yeah, and we, we call it graduation rate, but there's a lot of things that you can be doing, strategies and tactics that you can be implementing to improve your, your patient retention. Number three is more reactivations. I just talked about using your EMR going through for your, your top providers um, or your top, your highest reimbursing insurers. One thing that you can do, and Mary wants me to tell you that you have to use a compliant and um, encrypted text when you're doing this. But um, so you could, right? You could go through your patient list 
anybody who has the the highest reimbursing payer for you um, and you haven't seen in six months, you could send them a simple text. Something, I'll give you a template off the top of my head. Hi, Mary, this is Chad from Madden Physical Therapy. It's been six months since I last saw you for your hip. How are you doing? That text, and we've tested a lot, works really well for reactivation. Like you're going to get a 50% plus response rate. You can do the same thing with email, but that's one way that you could get a very, improve your reactivations. Your patient list is an asset and you can use it. The fourth thing that you can do here in increasing lifetime patient value for the people who are already coming in to see you is you could add a cash-based service that improves their outcomes and that they're going to be paying for with cash versus running through the insurance company. Um, lots of examples here. We work closely with Anovis and Lightforce Laser and Shockwave. Um, and we know lots of owners. You just saw Tony Sear on your screen on the last slide, Sean Weatherston. And I mean, Tony added $300,000 a year in cash-based services to his practice, Kinetics PT. The fourth thing you can do, and Mary's going to be talking through this a little bit, is this idea of strategic coding and telling the story on the claim. And um, so, yeah, Mary, if you can talk through this and just the, the problems that you have seen and how you're helping, you know, you talked about the redundant coding, you talked about the aberrant building, billing and how the, when you audit, you typically see owners leaving money on the table and how with the right coding strategies, ethically billing for what they're providing, they actually get greater reimbursement. Well, I think I've said it for years, but um, when your claims are are issued, the first person who sees the claims is not really an auditor. They're someone who just kind of runs through, looks at them, but they can tell at that level when your claim is, is processed that what's going on, what behavior you as a clinician have. So if you treat the patient and, and We've talked about this so many times at Breakthroughs um, Boot Camps. If you treat the patient um, and you do not demonstrate the complexity of the case, which we can show with the diagnoses, if you do not show progression, which can be shown in how you code. So if everything is three units of exercise and maybe you throw in a manual therapy from the beginning to the end, okay, what you're saying is there's no clinical decision-making going on here. Maybe this patient doesn't really get skilled services. So we're looking to see progression. We start with fundamentals like your therapeutic exercise. Obviously, our patients have to have strength and range of motion to be able to do many of the things that are more challenging. We don't start with therapeutic activities, however. The definition of that code is dynamic functional activity. If they can be performing those activities at the beginning, they probably don't need a whole long series of PT. This is something that you build them up to. You strengthen them, you work on balance, you improve their uh, joint integrity, whatever it is to get them to be able to challenge to full body commitment to an activity, that dynamic functional activity. That is shown on how you code. We'll talk about that when we have our sessions, uh, our educational sessions later in um, 2024. 
But it's very important that you understand when you are coding, multiple units of the same code tells a story. Multiple units of the same codes from the beginning to the end. And I know those of you, and this it's hard for me to say this because I was a manual therapist. And I remember patients saying, just one more time. Could you do that one more time? And you're at the end of the session, you're about to discharge them, and they just want that last manual therapy intervention. That is dependent activity. You're not making the patient independent unless you're teaching them self-mobs or something of that nature. So when you're doing the same exercises, when you're doing manual therapy, at the end of the episode of care, you're screaming. We're not thinking, we're not moving the patient to independence. So those are the things that are seen at claims level. And we will get into a lot more detail. Did, did that cover what you wanted me to cover, Chad, or do I need to go? Okay. Um, because we don't, ha- I mean, this could be very long. We can give lots of examples. But remember, when you have your diagnostic codes, you may only code that which you um, can code as a PT under your license. If it is a comorbidity, that is a medical diagnosis, be sure you have that substantiated through the um, attending physician, the physician who is named, whose NPI is on that claim, that they will say, yes, they do have um, congestive heart failure. Yes, they do have diabetes. Yes, they do have peripheral neuropathy. The things that show complexity of the care you are delivering. So make sure you have those. But if you can get those on the claim, you have ample opportunity to show how complex the case is that you're treating. Thank you, Mary. So as we were going through here, we talked about the problem, declining reimbursements, increased costs, shrinking profit margins. We talked about the solution. I showed you the diagram. Which one of these do you think would work for you? You can just write in the chat, number one, two, three, or four. So I know you haven't done the profit leak audit yet, Um, I know you haven't done the profit planner, but just if you had to guess, which one of these would most move the needle for you here in 2024? All right, seeing a couple threes, increasing lifetime patient value, pretty smart. Uh, Number one, realizing the full potential, revenue potential of your assets, filling space, filling schedules, marketing for profits. We got some fours, twos, ones, fours, twos, a lot of ones, a lot of threes. Okay, great. So as Mary alluded to here, um, we put together a program. Before we get to that, I want to deliver on the promise. I said that if you were on here, um, we'd be sharing the profit planner link. So that is going to uh, be the link for this is going to be put in the chat. Here's what it will look like when you open it up. Um, There are four. There are four tabs at the bottom. You're going to want to click on the third one, which is no, no slow season. And what you're going to do is make a copy, file, make a copy, and then you'll be able to edit that second sheet. So anybody, everybody can go in here right now. Wow, it looks like 20 plus people are already here. You're going to file, make a copy, and then you're going to go to no slow, the third tab at the bottom, and forecast out your entire year for next year. What you do, the status quo is going to be based on what you've done here in 2023. 
So you're going to go through and have an idea of, around what your revenue is. So new patients visits, however you look at that. Um, payroll, obviously these are status quo numbers off an assumption. You're going to want to put an edit in your actual your actual numbers, the, your expenses every month. So payroll, that's total benefits, marketing, billing, uh, or CBO if you're that stands for central business office. If you have such a thing, space or rent, your total space cost, continuing education, office expense, clinic expense, miscellaneous, reserve expenses. If you do a reserve, your total expenses, so you can calculate your profit. You have to be able to make it happen on paper rather than just doing whimsically like. Let's just roll the dice and see what happens next year. That is not working well for our profession. Uh, we don't do that. I highly recommend that you don't. Again, if you have multi multiple locations, every single one of our directors does this exercise. For the clinics that we're going to open, the clinical director does it before. They they make one of these on an annual, we actually do a five-year one now, but uh, an annual basis of what they're going to be producing. It'll force you to ask yourself better business questions. So um, yeah, just wanted to show you this. You can get in here. It looks like we have 60 plus people already. Make a copy, then you can edit that copy. Lots of other goodies in there that you can play around with. So again, um, we have the profit leak audit. Didn't have enough time to cover that here. You have the profit planner. From the profit planner, you can go through, just follow those tabs at the bottom and you can figure out, well, which where should I be putting my focus, my energy, the time, money, and resources that I have um, with our team? Should we be maximizing utilization of space and personnel? What's that going to do for us and our bottom line? Increasing lifetime patient value, what would that do if we added a cash-based service? Um, and I have some assumptions in there that you can play around with as well. Improving our payer mix, what would that do? Strategic uh, coding and scheduling, um, what would that do as well? You have the four profit levers. You can walk into next year. This is a, a right. We're in the last month here in 2023. You can create a plan and walk into next year, hit, hitting the ground running with a plan in place, um, knowing what it is that you're going to focus on. I'm willing to offer this, you know, exactly the, the exact tool that we're using. Um, so you can download that. I'll need to get you uh, a URL. We'll put it in the show notes. It, it would be a major win for you if you've never done this before to to have 2024 planned out. Awesome. Mary, thank you so much for doing this. Um, thanks, everybody. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.